Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. It's back in 1985. Y'all may remember, uh, some of you do, some of you don't, but some of you remember 1985, there was a movie that came out called Back to the Future. How many of you remember the movie, Back to the Future? Or you, maybe you've even watched it since then, but uh, one of the songs that came out during that time was a song by a group called Huey Lewis and the News. All right, can I get a witness? Y'all know who I'm talking about. So, uh, and the name of the song was The Power of Love. All right, y'all remember that too. The Power of Love, good song, man. It was, it was a good song in my generation. 1985, uh, I was at Mississippi College in my third year at Mississippi. Got married in 1985, in fact. But uh, here's the chorus of that song, uh, The Power of Love. Huey Lewis, I can, see, I can see the video right now, man. But anyway, it says, you don't need money, don't take fame, don't need no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes, but it might just save your life. That's the power of love. That's the power of love. So today, as we continue in this parable series, we're going to, continue, we're going to consider a parable that Jesus told, remember parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Parables help us understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Parables help us realize how we're supposed to live and act as members of the kingdom of God. And so he he told this parable that focuses on love and putting love into action. May be his, one of his, maybe the most familiar parable to us when we think about parables. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that's what we're going to think about today because love really is more than just words. You can tell anybody you love them. You you can say those words, but you've got to show it. And that's, that's the real power. The power comes when our actions match those words coming out of our mouths. One of my favorite verses of Scripture that talk about, that talks about the power of love and putting love into action is 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. I think I got it on a slide. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 from the TEV version says, My children, our love should not be just words and talk. It must be true love which shows itself in action. I love that verse of Scripture. It must be true love that shows itself in action action. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of love that causes us to spring into action. That's the kind of love that shows itself by deacons out in the parking lot today with umbrellas because of the driving rainstorm that we had as soon as right before the service started. It's that kind of love that springs into action when somebody's in need, when somebody's hurting, possibly someone's in danger. That's like people that are right now that don't even know Caden down in Kapai County, but are out there slogging around looking for this little boy out of love. Check out this video. Some of you may remember this event that happened recently of a guy who shows love. Check this out. Go ahead. And that night, because of that argument, he got in the car to go take a drive to clear his head. 
And it's because of he, he was out driving aimlessly that he passed by this house. Now that is one fortuitous fight with your girlfriend. <laughs> but because of that set of circumstances, it all had to come together for the right guy to be in the right place at the right time. And because of that, a little six-year-old girl might be alive because of it. Are you Zavion? <laughs> a rescue caught on camera. Here, come with me, man. Come with me. After a two-story house became engulfed in flames in this neighborhood just outside of Indianapolis. Twenty-five-year-old Nick Bostic just happened to be driving by. There's adrenaline. I hightailed my butt into the house, going through the uh, around the side of it, through the back of the door, um, up the patio. We went to go downstairs, found Kaylani in the smoke, continued upstairs, collapsed at the top stairs, and then went to jump out the window. You can see him collapse on the ground after handing off six-year-old Kaylani Barrett to a police officer. And minutes later, making sure the young girl he just saved was okay. Is the baby okay? We just dropped everything we were doing. It took off running. David and Tierra Barrett were on a date night when he got the call from his 18-year-old daughter, Sianna. The house was on fire, with all four of their kids and their friend inside. The family is speaking out together for the first time now. I just saw, like, fire in the living room. I just ran upstairs, like, yelling. And then I went and grabbed my baby sister. We started running down the stairs, and that's when we saw Nick, and um, we could just cut up find Kaylani. Bostic helped them out the door before searching desperately for Kaylani, who the family affectionately calls Baby K. I took a deep breath, and I ran down there, and I grabbed Kaylani, and I used my ears to help find her. Bostic seen here in the hospital. He suffered smoke inhalation and first-degree burns. I remember pulling up to the house and running up, and all Tiana kept saying is, I can't find Kaylani. And then they said she was in an ambulance, and then uh, the officers, the officers told uh, me about Nick and what he had done, and I, was, I started crying more. One of the most awful feelings to have that I wasn't there. Um, Kaylani said, Daddy, I was looking for you. Sianna Barrett, the eldest daughter, led most of her younger siblings and their family friend to safety. She is a hero to me, and she's always been. I don't think of myself as a hero at all. That's just something you would just do. The cause of the fire is currently under investigation. The family lost almost everything. On our wall in the living room, it was completely burnt down. The only thing that was left was love, and that's all I feel from everyone. But the family says they did pick up a new family member. God uses the most unlikely characters. He sent an angel. That's uh, good. Of course, the family pretty much lost everything, you all, in that fire, so they do have so a that's a that's just a picture of that. That's a picture of exactly what we're talking about, of just showing love, putting love into action. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mr. David Derrick is going to come and read our scripture for us. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you'll stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What's written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord 
thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willingly to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and then departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came there where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his uh, beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And then he said, He that showed mercy on him, and said Jesus unto him, Go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you, Mr. David. May God bless the reading of his word. Pray with me. So, Father, we ask you now, by the power of your Spirit, who is present with us and in us and among us, to teach us today, Lord, and then give us the power to obey and show the love that you've given to us, to others, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So, this is a familiar passage to us, probably maybe the most familiar of Jesus' parables. And uh, so I want us to take a look at it. And Jesus uses a word that is familiar to us, and that is the word neighbor. So let's make sure we understand what we're talking about when we use that word, what Jesus is talking about, using the word neighbor. The Greek word for neighbor literally means nearby. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Because most of us, when we think about neighbors, we think about someone who lives nearby to us. And, and a neighbor is that person. When we, someone who's close by, somebody, maybe somebody who lives close by you, we use the phrase next door neighbor. And so that's the person, I mean, for me, that would be the, the, the hammocks and the marberries uh, up on First Street. But then there are other people who are nearby, not my next door neighbors, but they're still neighbors up there, the, the Wilburns and Mr. Charles Campbell's across the street. And, and uh, the, the McNamara's live just across the street. Cheyenne's just up the street there. Others, uh, other folks up there on First Street who would certainly be physically close by to me and would be considered neighbors. And so, obviously, the, the characters in this parable were nearby uh, to the man who was assaulted and robbed. So there is that, that thought of being physically nearby. But obviously, I believe it's obvious that Jesus had more in mind when he talked about uh, a neighbor more than just being physically close to someone. He expanded that definition because he's Jesus and he can do that. But he expanded that definition to include more people. In fact, he expanded that definition to even include our enemies. So for us, as far as Jesus is concerned, 
Your neighbor is anyone, anywhere, of any race, social standing, family background, with any need. That's your neighbor. And so that can be, that can be someone who is close by to you, someone with whom you have something in common. It could be a, a family member, someone with the same nature as yours, the same viewpoints as you, the same beliefs that you have, the same race as you, living in the same country as you, having the same faith as you. It can be a friend or an associate. Or as in the passage for today, a, a, a neighbor is defined as any, listen, any other member of the human family, period. That's our neighbor. That's our neighbor. So when Jesus commands us, as he did there in the early part, of, well, the, the, the teacher of the law, the, the expert of the law, is the one who quoted the verses out of the Old Testament, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so in saying that, when, he, when Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves in the great commandment, he is not telling us, to limit our love to only those that we are close to. Now, it's easy, pretty easy for us to love each other in this room. And, and so, we, but he's saying we can't just limit our love to those that we're close to, those that hold the same beliefs. The majority of us probably have similar beliefs, those who are like us, those who are, who, those people that we like more than we like other people. That's not who he's talking about. Uh, the definition that I found of neighbor is that a neighbor is any person we encounter who has any need. So since every person we encounter has a need of some kind, we can understand that the term is to include every person we encounter. That's your neighbor. So the basic truth that Jesus is commanding us as his followers that we have to obey is to love I mean, it's just, it's, it's simple, but it's so profound and it's so hard sometimes. But the, the command is that we love every other person in the world. That's it. And, and the word for loving your neighbor is the same word for loving God. It's the Greek word agapao or agape, and that is that unconditional, no strings attached, what's in it for me, sacrificial, putting their needs before your needs, more concerned about them than you, not concerned about their response or their reciprocating your acts of love. That's the kind of love we're talking about. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to the person sitting next to you and say, hey, neighbor, go ahead, do it right now, go ahead. All right, now look, look to the other side. Look to the other side and say, hey, neighbor. All right, look in front of behind. Turn around and see somebody behind. Say, hey, neighbor. All right, so look at that camera back there and say, hey, neighbor. See, I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, that's it. Did anybody say hey to me? I don't know if it, can, 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 choir, can you help me out? All right, so that's it. That's it. So let's talk about the participants in this story. Joe McKeever is a good friend of mine, a retired pastor that's still very, very active in ministry. He had, Ted, he had Adrian Rogers in his study one time when Joe was pastor up in Columbus. Adrian Rogers was there, and Dr. Rogers said, you know the traditional outline of this parable, right? And Joe said, no, I don't. And so Dr. Rogers said, there are three philosophies in this story. The thieves said... 
What's yours is mine and I will take it. I think I got this on a slide. I think I do. There we go. The thieves said, what's yours is mine and I will take it. The priest and Levite said, what's mine is mine and I will keep it. And then the Samaritan said, what's mine is mine and I will share it. So that's kind of the philosophy that we're working on. So let's look at these characters in this parable. The first ones we see are we see the brutes that beat him down. We see that in verse 30, the brutes that beat him down. We see that. It's tragic, but this is a regular occurrence in our society today. Uh, last week, a couple of weeks ago, New York City police officers were beaten down by some immigrants up there. Uh, just last week, or just a few days ago, some, a teenage boy was beaten down out in Shiloh Park, out in Brandon, by a bunch, was a bunch of white kids, and beat him down, you know, got him out there and jumped him. We see it all the time, regularly see parents and coaches and spectators and players beat each other down at sporting events. It just happens. We're a violent society. This, wasn't, this isn't new today. It was happening back then too, though. We don't know much about these guys, these brutes that beat him down, except that they were robbers, and this man fell among them. In other words, he encountered them on this dangerous road that he was on. By the way, the name of this road, or, or this road was known as the Way of Blood. This road was known as the Way of Blood because this was a regular occurrence. It was a favorite hideout, favorite territory for these marauding Bands of thieves and robbers and thugs. And so that's what happened. So just these brutes, they just beat him down. They jumped him and they, they beat him down and they, they robbed him. You know, the, the sad truth is this. Whether it's the first century or the 21st century, sin is still the same. Amen? It is still the same. Sin is still the same. Satan is still at work. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Satan is still at work. Lost people still act like lost people, right? They do. They lost. My mama said that a long time ago. Johnny, you just got to let lost people act like lost people. And they do because they're just acting according to their nature. That's why you and I are supposed to act differently. Because these brutes that beat them down were just acting according to their nature. Lost guys just doing what lost people do. Because Galatians, Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, let me read this out of the Amplified Version. Uh, Larry LeBlanc preached on this at our first Fresh Start service at the beginning of January. Now the practices of the sinful nature of a lost person are clearly evident. Here are those practices. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, that means total irresponsi irresponsibility and lack of self-control, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions that promote heresies, envy, drunkenness, riotous behavior, and other things like these. Paul says, I warned you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's how lost people act. That's what they do. But they all need Jesus. So thugs and thieves need Jesus just like anyone else does. And we're called to love the thugs and the thieves. Now, 
We don't have to approve of their behavior, but we are called to love them and strive to reach them with the gospel. Thugs and thieves need Jesus. Gangbangers and pimps and prostitutes and cheaters and illegal immigrants and porn producers and porn stars and common crooks and corporate embezzlers, crooked politicians, drag queens, traffickers, drunks, abortionists. We've got to love them and share Jesus with them. So we see the brutes that beat him down. Secondly, we see the bogus passers-by that left him down. Bogus just means a sham. So these rule-keeping, regulation-keeping priest and Levite coming down the road, their rules and their regulations said that they were to avoid being defiled by coming into contact with a dead body. Although the story doesn't give us much indication, they took much time to find out whether or not the dude was dead or not. But they just made this assumption. Maybe they were just sissies. <laughs> Maybe they're just wimps. Maybe they were just squeamish. They didn't want to go over there and see the blood and guts or whatever guy bleeding in the, in the, in the gutter over there. They didn't want to see that. Maybe, maybe they were afraid that the thugs and the robbers and the thieves were still in the area. But here's the bottom line. They avoided, they avoided getting involved. They avoided getting dirty. They avoided getting contaminated. They avoided the man with the obvious need. Can I tell you something? Loving people in the world will cause you to get dirty and contaminated and you've got to get involved with them. But these guys, so, so in the process of these bogus passers-by that left this guy laying in the gutter, bleeding out, the, these guys who had just been to church <laughs> had just been to church. They missed out. They missed out on being used by the God that they professed to follow. They saw the, they saw the wounded traveler as a problem to avoid. So that's what they did. They saw him. Jesus said... They saw him. They saw him, they avoided him, and they left him on the ground. Can I make a confession to you? This exact thing happened to me one time. Problem was, I was the priest and the Levite. I was in New York City. I mean, Mississippi Redneck, New York City, man. I mean, come on, that was yeah, that's scary enough right there. And so Vicky and I were up there. So listen, listen to the parallels. Listen to the parallels of this story. I'm a pastor. Look at me. I'm a pastor. I was in New York City for a pastor's conference at the Brooklyn Tabernacle with Pastor Jim Cimbala. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire book. Go get it and read it. You'll see why we pray so much in this church. I was there for a pastor's conference with my wife. We're staying in a hotel. We walked out of the hotel at night. We're walking toward the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Got a little turned around. I got a little freaked out thinking, okay, I don't want to get lost. 
on the sidewalks and the streets of New York City. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a little concerned here. And so Vicki and I were standing there literally nighttime in, in the middle of this sidewalk looking like lost Mississippians in New York City, which means we look really vulnerable. And this guy walks up to us and says, hey, do y'all need some help? I said, man, yeah, I really do. I said, I need to, I, I, I'm just turned around. I said, I'm just trying, do I go this way, the Brooklyn Tabernacle? Or He said, well, come on, just go with me. I'll show you. Well, there's a moment of trust right there. So I said, well, let's go. So we started walking with this guy, walking down the sidewalk. We came at, to the sidewalk. There was a homeless guy laying right in the middle of the sidewalk, right in the middle of the sidewalk. So what does the pastor do? kept on walking with my wife. And then I realized the guy that was walking with us wasn't with us anymore. And I turned around and looked. And he was kneeling down beside the homeless guy, checking to see if that guy was okay. I was there for a pastor's conference to learn how to be a good pastor. I was the bogus passerby that night. Let's talk about the bona fide neighbor that picked him up, though. That Samaritan. The Samaritan wasn't out looking for somebody to help. He wasn't on a mission trip like Melissa talked about. He wasn't, he wasn't on a, with a group, a Disciple Now group, out doing a mission project on D-Now weekend. He, he was... He, was, he wasn't with his life group out doing ministry at the food pantry or something like that. Verse 33 says, as he journeyed. So he was just going down the road. He was simply going down the road, living life, maybe watching for thieves. And he came to where this man was. The scripture says he came to where he was and he realized that someone needed his help. Not somebody else that was coming along later. He realized this dude needed his help. His help. He didn't look around. At least Jesus didn't say it. The guy didn't look around to see if anybody else was going to step up and do the job. Let somebody else do it. He didn't step around him, step over him, walk past him like I did the homeless guy. Verse 40, 34 says, he, the Samaritan, he went to him. It did not matter that this guy was a Jew and the guy helping him was a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews despised and hated each other. Mississippi has been known through the years for a lot of racial prejudice. But let me tell you something. Racial prejudice has never run deeper than it, the prejudice between Jews and Samaritans in that day. It didn't matter that the guy was a Jew. It didn't matter what other people thought about what he was doing. Why in the world would you help someone who hates you so much? That guy in that ditch hates your guts. It didn't matter what anybody else thought. It didn't matter that he was risking his own life. Think about how vulnerable he was as he stopped not looking around anymore for any more thieves or robbers, but stopped and turned his attention to the guy in the ditch putting his own life at risk, 
How did he know that this wasn't a trap? That this guy was just laying there with some fake blood on him so he would stop and then his buddies would jump out of the bushes and, and jump on him and steal and kill and whatever to this guy. How did he, he did not know that. Or that this Jew, maybe the Samaritan goes over to him and the Jew's knocked out, but then when he comes to him, he looks up and there's a Samaritan of all people. There's a Samaritan helping him. That the Jew wouldn't start jumping on him because it was a Samaritan help. He didn't know any of that stuff. Didn't matter. Didn't matter that it was going to cost him a lot. It cost him his own bandages, whatever he used for bandages, cost him his own oil, cost him his own wine to take care of the guy, cost him the time it took to take care of the Jew, cost him money out of his own pocket to pay for the room for this stranger at the end. It was two denarii. That was two days' wages for a laborer. For instance, modern-day application for someone who was, is a minimum-wage worker in Mississippi, two days' wages would be about 116 bucks. Now, the majority of us in here right now got 116 bucks in our pocket right now. It wouldn't be a thing. But if you're a minimum-wage worker, that's a lot of money. Two days of your pay to take care of this guy. And then it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter though. And it didn't matter that he promised to take care of any and all future expenses. That didn't matter. Because the Samaritan placed compassion over every other obstacle, hindrance, or objection. He placed compassion over prejudice. He placed compassion over work. He placed compassion over time, energy, money, other people's opinions. He put compassion and love above all of those things. And he set the standard. He set the standard, and that is the standard that Jesus expects and requires of all of his followers. You belong to Jesus, that's who you're supposed to be. That's what Jesus is saying there. Usually I do the application at the beginning of the message. I'm doing it right now at the end. I'm about to make three little points and we'll be done. Because here's the application. One question. Which one are you going to be? There's the application for today. Which one are you going to be? Three questions. Are you going to be the one whose hands beat him down? Now, I don't think that there's anybody in here who would, you know, literally physically go assault someone unless somebody was trying to take, pick on your kid or your grandkid or something like that. Then it's all, all bets are off. Then, amen, can I get a witness? I mean, it's, it's on then. I don't think anybody in here is just literally going to go beat somebody down without cause, reason, legitimate cause or reason. But man, we may not physically beat someone down, but how many of us beat other people down with our words? How many of us Beat other people down by slighting them. I mean, you got your click. (laughs) 
I sound like I'm back in youth ministry. I used to constantly pound on the kids in my youth group about getting out of their little cliques. Nothing worse than walking into a group and feel like you ain't a part. And other people making sure that you feel like you're not a part. That could happen in this room today. There could be a guest here today that could walk out of here going, Woo! What that preacher was preaching about, I didn't see anybody practicing it today. Ha. Could be a member here that feels that way. We slight people, we beat them down, we, we, slight, we beat them down by excluding them, you know, because they're different from us. We beat them down by ostracizing them, we beat them down by shunning them because they're not like us. In whatever category you want to put them in, it's the category that you don't like the most, whatever that is. So are you going to be the one whose hands beat him down? Secondly, are you, are you going to be the one whose feet bypassed him? I've already given you my testimony, my confession. Man, God just, he just, <laughs> if he has ever slapped me, he did on that sidewalk in New York City that night. But how many times have we done this? How many times have you done this? How many times have you wished that when you pulled up to the traffic light, you'd, the homeless guy didn't catch your eye? Well, they're just going to use that money to go buy booze. So I don't have to help them. How many times have we wished that our phone had not rung when we saw the name of the person pop up and we knew that they were going to... Here we go again. Or are you going to be the one whose heart blessed him? Because Jesus said the last thing that Mr. David read from the wonderful King James Version... Go thou and do likewise what the Samaritan did. Not what the thieves did. Not what the priest and Levite did. You go and do what the Samaritan did. You go do that. It's a story of a man in the American Revolution. He was dressed in civilian clothes and he rode past a group of soldiers who were repairing a defensive barrier. The leader of this group of soldiers was shouting instructions to them, but he was making no attempt to help these guys. And so the rider asked the man shouting the instructions, said, why are you not helping them? And the, the man shouting the instructions kind of swole up a little bit, and he said, sir, I am a corporal. So the stranger apologized to the corporal, Stranger got off of his horse and proceeded to help these exhausted soldiers. And then when the job was over, the man turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, the next time you have a job like this and you don't have enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come help you again. And George Washington got back on his 
horse and rode off. Church, I want to say something to you. Maybe it's time we got off of our high horses and got down and got dirty with some folks and helped them. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Let's do that. Let's don't beat them down. Let's don't bypass them. Confess it if you have, because you have. But let's bless their lives and bless their hearts. Why? Because Jesus has blessed us. Amen? And the love that we have been shown is the love that we are commanded to share with every other person in the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. So, Lord, we do ask you today, Lord, this is, some, this is a hard teaching for us, Lord, because it, it does cause us to have to get out of our comfort zones. It causes us to have to think about doing things that maybe we're not comfortable doing and getting dirty, doing some stuff. And uh, just, God, it's just sometimes it's nasty and it's messy and it's hard and we don't understand. We don't feel like we know what we're doing and all that kind of stuff. Jesus, you said none of that matters because I'll give you everything you need. I'll take care of you every step of the way. You just go and do likewise. Just go and show love to every person that you meet, every person in the world. Whether it's on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic or whether it's to Sullivan's here in Florida, God, you tell us to love every person in the world. And you give us the ability to do that through Christ through the Holy Spirit in us. So help us to do it. In Jesus' name I pray.